You're listening to Black Neon Digital Podcast, episode 32. Steve Lidbury, from Omnichannel to Monochannel, how 8Inc design human-centric experiences for brands including Apple, Tesla and Nike. I first came across Steve Lidbury, executive principal at 8Inc on stage at Fashion Tech Berlin in 2018. There he was talking about how luxury brands can remain relevant in a millennial world. It was one of the standout sessions of the event because of his stage presence, but also because Steve reminded us that no matter how big we grow as a business, we need to remember the drivers behind why and what we are aiming to create. Since then, Steve has joined us for a London Tech Week panel and we've had many interesting discussions offline. We recorded this podcast just before lockdown and since I've checked back in with Steve to see if COVID-19 has shifted his thoughts around Monochannel. But he reassures us that it's even more important now than ever to create a consistent and connected brand experience. An experience that is ultimately driven by emotions, sensations and desires. So, um, Steve, <laughs> we've finally got round to doing yes, this. Um, been in contact on and off for, I don't know, maybe it's a year, maybe it's a two years. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But we, um, I came across you at Berlin Fashion Tech, actually, originally saw you on stage and you were definitely the standout um, person there of the whole event, oh, well, to be quite you. honest. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I kind of thought, right, I need to track this guy down, see what he's about. And what drew me to you and what you were talking about was actually... Yes, it's tech. Yes, it's experience. But it was definitely this human centric human connection that I was inspired by at that point and kind of went off on my own journey looking at what 8Inc do mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff. So can you just tell me a little bit about um, yeah, 8Inc and you and how you came into 8Inc initially? Sure. OK, yeah. Um, well, lovely. Thank you for that as well. That's, a, that's the first time anybody's ever said that to me. So very nice of you. Um, on, a, on a personal side, my I come from a traditional, what you'd call a back in the day, an interior design route into, into the business. So I've been working for 20 plus years now. And um, but the interesting thing is when you're taught originally and back in the day, it was a very siloed way of teaching. You were either an architect, an interior designer, a product or a communications designer, whatever it might be. And digital wasn't around back then. And so the 20 years of progression of the industry has been absolutely has been absolutely fascinating. Um, And as part of my progression, I worked in Italy for two years. I worked in Japan and set up my business for nine years. I was there. And as, in, so in Japan, you were there for nine years? Yeah, for nine years. You had your own business? At yes, that point? not for the whole of that time, but I ran my own small boutique design studio. And I think through the progression of working in both Italy and Japan, two very different cultures, first of all, which is the kind of human lens on things when, when as we start to talk about that but more from a, a discipline point of view as well was broadening the, the the design thinking beyond just the traditional verticals uh, but it was only only really when I came back to uh, work in the UK which I've been back here for about 10 years now and I was creative director at Imagination that I really started to broaden away from that that vertical of purely 3D into multi-channel experiences and the imagination I was working on everything from uh, big PR event activations, auto shows, retail, architecture, through the line campaigns, and it really started to 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 we started to activate experiences for brands 
that were physical meets digital meets large-scale uh, groups of people through different channels. So I know you're driven actually by cultural influences, yes. obviously. Um, yeah. Can you just talk about, I know you love traveling, I know you, you know, obviously living in Japan, etc. Can you talk about why travel and culture is such a, I mean, it sounds a stupid thing to say, but a big part. Yeah, and, and I feel like my answer is maybe a little bit obvious, but it truly is about exploring and seeing the new, but not just short term. I think when you go to, to go to places and embed yourself in the culture, that's when the real value comes to you as a person that you really start to live like them or eat like them or work like the the host culture that you're in and the wonderful thing about that or, or party there it doesn't it's not all about work it's actually about entertainment and socially as well and when you do that you get under the kind of you get more than skin deep into the culture and you learn and you pick these things up with you and you take them to other places and I think that's one of the amazing things about it is taking all of this richness of the culture around the world and almost exporting it into different places that you go and the and, and the kind of diversity that that brings and I think for anybody who's in the creative industries the design industries whatever it might be you have to do that you have to understand people the nuances of culture the attitudes the characteristics the ways of being because that's who we create experiences for. Without understanding on that kind of emotional level, you've got nowhere to kind of start in the industry that we, we're doing. And how do you... So, for example, we're always looking to different markets to venture into. Mm. Um, how would you approach venturing into a different market with ATINK or into a new territory or a... You know, how, how does that work? Sure. Well, at ATINK, and I, I didn't really talk about much yeah. much who we are, so, so to go back, <laughs> sorry, apologies, I didn't actually answer yeah, your question. Okay. I just spoke about myself. <laughs> um, at ATINK, we are a, a global design and innovation business, and what we do is create uh, brand experiences for top global companies and small niche players alike. Across what, kind, what kind of companies have oh, you worked with? Oh, from the um, Nissan, Barclays Bank, Jaguar Land Rovers, so so automotive, banking, hospitality, Virgin Atlantic, so very, very kind of blue chip uh, brands and clients, all the way through to kind of more smaller niche players, if you like, and even charity work. So um, DonorsChoose.org, for example, or smaller businesses creating their office designs. So we work across all categories, um, all types of design disciplines and 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 all parts of the world. And, and to pull that back to your question, which was about how do we go into those different parts of the world, uh, we're quite uniquely spread out across the globe, but only have a small number of people in each yeah, location. Got, how, so, how many offices are there? So like we've 20, got um, so 12, 10 to 12, okay. something like that. So we're from San Fran, New York, um, EMEA, London, China, Tokyo, Singapore. So we stretch across the time zones, but to your point, actually, we stretch across the different cultures. And so we could be working on something in one location, but quite easily get great insights into the culture of the Chinese market, for example. So a good example of that is a project we worked on recently for a real estate brand, and they create high-end properties in London. However, 80% of the market are ultra-high net worths in China just as an example. So very quickly, we can ask our team out there to send us through key information around 
um, people and segmentation and personas and attitudes, attitudes to buy-in, changing behaviours, all of that lovely, insightful stuff that can inform our work. And that works both ways across our business. And we can do that really quickly because we're all connected superbly digitally through whatever Slack or Zoom <laughs> meetings or whatever it might be. So it's really quite quick and easy to do and cheaper for clients. Do you release any of that information, the insights externally, or is that all kind of kept internally for your clients? Well, through the naturally this comes through the nature of our projects. So the way we start projects is, and, and we put people at the heart of it, and I'm sure this will come up a lot today, but with the insights we develop are based on the research we do. So first and second-hand research, let's develop, develop some really insightful thinking that will then inform our kind of hypotheses of how to create future experiences. On the other side of our projects, we also have our kind of marketing work as well. And we're not very big on marketing, but in a way, it's important that we have a voice out there as well as with our clients. So, for example, myself, I will be on panel discussions or keynotes, as you referenced at the beginning. And that's the opportunity, I think, for us, and, and here now, in fact, is the opportunity to talk about those insights, to talk about the way the world is changing, to talk about the challenges we're facing, to talk about where the industry we think is moving and how we can be a part of that and how we can use what we do to create better human outcomes for people towards better business outcomes for our clients. What do you think people are... Um battling with now so what do you what would you say the top line um i mean i know we've talked off air about sort of perception and values driven things so like um yeah the world's sort of shifting a bit mm. we're moving from an old model we're kind of reassessing yeah yeah i think there's um it's, it's it's a it's a big question it's a good question and a big question and of course it depends on different challenges but if we if we take a couple of things, I mean, to say digital is a bit obvious of me, but it is a truth that, that with the digital disruption that has been happening and is continuing to happen, it's one of the biggest challenges facing all the businesses that we, we talk to, whether that's a, a, a banking business, and I've just been working with Barclays Bank for three years, whether that's with uh, a Virgin Atlantic Airways, for example, as, a, as an airline brand, <clears throat> whether that's a traditional retailer, they all have these parallel challenges that they, in the face of digital disruption, they've got new challenges in their sector. So for banking, the traditional banks, they've got your Monzos and your Starlins who are completely disrupting the mm -hmm. sector. You've got a change in regulations and these things that are allowing new players and agile challenges to come in. So those brands have to reinvent their proposition or rethink their proposition more holistically to, to counter that. Now, uh, Monzo, for example, they do things brilliantly digitally, but what they don't have are people. What they don't have are places. What they don't have are physical, human-centered experiences where relationships can be developed. But they do the digital brilliant, uh, digital bits brilliantly, rather. So, so the question becomes: How do these these bigger bigger companies and organisations uh, manage that and integrate the the digital thinking alongside with the human and the staff and the resource thinking? holistically into their products and their, their kind of propositions. And, and frankly, I use banking as one example, but it's across every sector and that, that kind of need for these kind of um, seamless experiences. 
Now, the second part of, of the challenge that they're facing is how they're set up as businesses. Mm. It's their organisational design that stops them from being able yeah. to, to, to succeed, let's say, because there are the traditional silos that don't always talk to each other, that have different pots of money, and brief project briefs of, often come in one, one vertical. Yeah. And our job is to connect those verticals laterally uh, to think holistically, to think inside and out of the business and, and change the way the business thinks to help create the right solutions. Yeah. That's that's the challenge. Which is not an easy thing and obviously no. takes, so you've said three years Barclays, so that's a long time to address all these different areas because you can't, you can't create a holistic outcome without actually going in at the beginning and looking at every single thing. So, yes. Um, kind of a lot of things that I talk about um, uh, barriers and and what you know what prevents businesses from buying a solution or, yes. or kind of yeah picking up on things. Can yeah. you talk about some barriers that absolutely are, are commonalities in in things that come up for you? Yes, and 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 those barriers have been uh, even more noticed in the past twelve months. Let's say, and 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 we're in the context of the UK, so we can talk about things like Brexit. <laughs> and we won't go too far there, but with with those kind of conditions. With the political and economic instability that's happening, there's a lack of confidence, and and therefore for for um, businesses and brands, not necessarily willing to spend, but more importantly, actually, it's then we need to help them get to an answer more quickly. And so Barclays, by the way, has been a more of a long term partnership, yeah. doing a multitude of things. But we are finding that. The, the 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 barriers are if it's going to take too long, then it's not going to happen. So we need to find a way where we get to the solution quicker. And actually around that is the idea of getting things to market quicker to test and learn them very, very quickly. And so we work um, from from long-term pieces that we call experience master plans, which create entirely new propositions, all the way through to experience sprints, which are very quick activation ways of working to think holistically about things, to create experience strategies, but to go and test them quickly into mm -hmm. prototype stuff into market and that is the way that, that we can do that because once we test it, we can start to validate it with the right kinds and of it feedback. Gives it gives confidence. Yeah. You can validate the investment in it. We know people like it. We know it can drive revenues or drive you know KPIs that we set out in the beginning. And then that unlocks more investments to be able to fulfill uh, more holistically and delivering that proposition bigger, wider, deeper, more, uh, more kind of like higher fidelity, mm -hmm. if you like. And I'm just thinking about um, something I was talking to someone about the other day, and they were really battling with um, looking at innovation and all the exciting things that are happening in innovative spaces, whether it's like biomaterials mm -hmm. or, like you've said, Starling and Monzo and, and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And how do we, large corporations, large businesses, there seems to be this huge disconnect between small and innovative and like big and corporate and that wheel how you've just said of getting everything unsiloed mm -hmm. is very difficult so how do we get small innovation to work with big business and, and that kind of balancing out do you yeah. know what I mean I, I think um we have to start with the word what we mean by innovation mm. as well because it's uh it's we we overuse it ourselves all the time right so i'm going to say it's it's an overused word um but i think at eight we when we think about innovation 
innovation is only uh, once something is adopted. Real innovation is when a large scale of people adopt it. Otherwise, it's just an idea. And I think the ideas and innovation get really mixed up. So people can have great ideas. It becomes innovation once it's adopted on wide scale. So I'm trying to kind of pull that back into the answer of your question that is to to test things rapidly and quickly is the way forward that we can understand. Do people want it? Is it answering their problem? Is it answering their job to be done, uh, to, you, to borrow that phrase? Uh, is it creating desire? Is it delivering on the business's objectives against their, their kind of metrics? And once we can do and test things rapidly and quickly, that can inform how to move forward. Now, maybe smaller businesses can do that a bit more quickly and rapidly because they're more agile in their nature. Uh, but equally, we work with some businesses who, uh, and I won't, I won't name names, but a, a business we're talking to at the moment, and they've changed their internal culture. So they're, they're a very big entertainments forward slash uh, um, soft drinks brand globally. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Uh, but very interesting is that they are working on a much more kind of agile way internally. And by that, they want to work in sprints and they want to design and they want to test and they want to reiterate and put things out. Mm-hmm. That is a quite innovative design thinking kind of process and methodology for a big business to have. And that takes a big organizational shift to do that. And to shift from a traditional vertical business into that, is 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 a whole kind of um, different world. Whereas small businesses can set themselves up to be agile from the very beginning. So I think there's synergies between between that. Where do you think the buy-in has to come from for that kind of change and that agile type of working? So you know, a lot of people underneath want to work in that way because then they can see yes. the benefits. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> o- on- simply put, only from the very top because the C-suite and and more directly the CEO sets the cultural agenda and sets the organizational agenda and only they can drive that lateral thinking that connectedness and uh have the vision to 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 know that it will transform the game and 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 not every CEO can do that because they may not be a Steve Jobs or a um whoever it might be so but it it comes it comes from there and nowhere else because then everything else will fall in line mm. everyone else will get on board and so and again back to to the kind of work that that we do um, we're very fortunate that we work with those people. We work with the C-suite um, teams who have the vision, uh, who have the, the, the wisdom and, and the ability to think in a different way and to realize that their business is changing. So if we uh, I can talk about Barclays or a Virgin, they understand the game is changing. And, and, and these businesses are starting to think of themselves not as selling cars or selling mortgages mm-hmm. or selling footballs, they're starting to shift into that world of thinking of themselves of, as platform businesses. Mm. And platform businesses are about an exchange of value between two parties. This party comes together and that party comes together for an exchange that add values to them both, mm. uh, adds value to them both and to the, the, the kind of system and feeds on data. So we're seeing that happen with the really innovative CEOs out there of thinking, and they're the ones that can drive that that kind of change yeah and it's interesting because the role of a ceo 
their drivers are quite different now. So it's not just all about um, ROI and monetary. It's definitely mm -hmm. coming more around to like experience mm -hmm. and brand values and kind of all that sort of stuff. So I think yeah. the role of a CEO is probably quite different now to five years ago. Well, and also we can demonstrate that experience drives better ROI. Yeah. And and that is that is the critical thing uh, that 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 can make a, a convincing argument around it because back ten fifteen years ago design was much more fluffy as a as a thoughts as a okay it's it's creative it's 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 finishes it's colors it's UI and all of this kind of thing but actually design is about performance design is about driving uh, better revenues KPIs NPS and, and all of that good stuff and we are we're actually producing a book at the moment at eight which is which is going to be around the idea of return on experience uh and I was basically just we, about to ask that oh yeah. okay no, i didn't know if you... i didn't know if i'd ever mentioned that to you before <laughs> no, but perhaps I, I, I was reading something before um <laughs> the retail profit right okay yeah, yeah so he yeah. talks about that um different ways of measuring isn't it basically yes. how do you measure experience how do you measure um yeah yeah, and 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 a very very high level experience um is is proven to create a better emotional connection. A great experience uh, creates a a great emotional connection between a brand and be, between a customer in the most simple sense. And we have a better emotional connection. You have loyalty. You have a a kind of love and loyalty for a brand that is very very hard to break. And when you have that, and people, when people have a brilliant, memorable experience, they will talk about you as a brand to other people, and they will spread that word of mouth without you having to try. And they're more likely to recommend you. They're more likely to buy products. So all of these, these, these ideas and thinking around the value of experience, it generates extraordinary value for brands and businesses. So long as it focuses on experience that 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 aim to deliver better better emotional outcomes for people first, with the idea to get to better business outcomes for for the brands, um, not the other way around. If it starts as a selling experience, in a world of, of of the need for authentic brands and authentic experiences, that's going to fall flat on its head. It's about making those emotional deeper relationships with people, and you 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 you'll have fans and fanatics for life, not fickle customers. Mm. There's a real difference there. It's like the, the 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 value pyramid, the hierarchy of human need, and that kind of value to to really create fans for your brand through experiences. How can you mm. measure that? <laughs> How can you actually measure it to give a CEO? The I can ROI? plug the book and say yeah. buy the book. No, <laughs> I'll have one. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's really important. It's how it's it how the KPIs are set up at the very beginning of the project to be able to do that. So, what are you looking to drive? Whether that's revenue streams, whether that's better NPS, and how do you put different weightings against those things? And how can you isolate them out? Because actually, it's very difficult to isolate some of these things out uh, without going into it. <laughs> that's <laughs> what our book is going to yeah, talk yeah. about. And yeah. hopefully it's out early in the new year. It aims to articulate it through some different case studies. But the key thing is, is it's not a like for like for what you do at the moment. It's all in the very setup beginning of the project to ensure the right measurements are being made there in isolation or as a connected group so that we can do the same types of measurements afterwards um, throughout the experience. And whether that's softer stuff like dwell time in stores um, or whether that gets into more sophisticated techniques like how people 
uh, emotionally and visually interact with an interface, for example, whether they look confused or happy or sad. How you know you can go into quite serious detail around it, um, or keep it kind of higher level. How do you? Um, I'm just thinking about how you actually create. Create <laughs> sounds you know we're talking about emotional connection, but we're talking about it in quite an abstract way. How do you actually ensure that it is real, authentic, with integrity? How how do you make that experience? Yeah, um, starting a couple of places what's what's the story of the brand that we're working with here and is that what's the purpose and 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 what's the story and is that authentic from from a point of view is it interesting is it authentic and do you do that work with the brand absolutely it's the start point we we always say we need to understand the brand the business and the audience these are the three core things because to to emotionally connect we have a brand here we have a consumer here and the things they connect through are the experience. And the experience is made up of four key things. An environment, generally, the communications of that experience, the behavioral aspects of that experience. So what are the what are the people, what are the staff, what are the roles that activate a space and an experience? And then what are the products and services that deliver the experience in a seamless, connected and differentiated manner? So those four experience realms are what bring a brand's values to life meaningfully and tangibly to a customer otherwise a brand purpose is just some copy on a wall it's just bleh and and if there's an authentic purpose there that's inspiring if there's a story that's kind of compelling the experience brings that story to life tangibly through touch points that is the emotional connection piece and that's fascinating that's a great place to be in (laughs) if you haven't got a great story then you're in trouble (laughs) You know, so, Patagonia, I mean, brilliant yeah. story. Uh, Warby I was Parker, just about to say examples. brilliant, yeah. brilliant yeah. story. Like Warby Parker is wonderful because it it also um, it, it connects to a certain audience that is has a need to associate a, a Gen Z audience that wants to associate itself with brands that have good ethics, a good vision, a good reason to be, and is giving something back to the world perfect and so they can absolutely buy into to that as a brand you know patagonia has its whole life life cycle uh fashion thing and this is much more your world um so so forgive me for um for that but it has a, a wonderful kind of vision around protecting the world people buy into that that is unarguably authentic they're not trying to create something authentic it's there and they just express it in the right way mm. have you felt over you know 20 years mm. this kind of the values, this authenticity that we're talking about has become more and more and more important? Or do you think it's always been there, but we're focusing on it more now? That's a really good question, because <laughs> I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't thinking about authenticity probably yeah. 15 years ago, mm-hmm. but maybe I was just really young in, mm-hmm. in what I was doing and not really knowing. I was just fumbling along designing things. Um, but, but I think authenticity has always been an important thing when it comes to brands. And... Actually, I think it probably is more um, prevalent, but that's because there's, I think there's too many people claiming to be authentic. Mm. I think it's a bit like one of those words where it's overused again, like icon. Everyone says they're an iconic brand. You really, if if you're iconic, you don't need to say you're an iconic Mm. brand. And it's a bit like authenticity. You don't need to claim it. You just are it. it. You you be it. Mm. You, You breathe it. So the traditional luxury brands always have, all have this kind of authenticity. 
Uh, and it's fine if you don't. Is that you about can history then, though? Is authenticity, without saying I'm an authentic brand, around history? So you've just touched on the luxury brands, mm. but there a lot of those are quite old. Yeah, I think that's one part of it, or, but it's not yeah. only that. I th- uh, yeah, I, I think there's definitely, they fit into that kind of category mm. well. Uh, but as we said, like Warby Parker, that's mm. not, got nothing to do with history, but that has an authentic story. It's, it's real. It's meaningful. It's believable. That's 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 authenticity. Yeah. yeah. Um, just thinking about 2020, what people are battling with. And I know you're back on stage at Fashion Tech, Fashion yes. Tech Berlin. <laughs> um, what are you going to be talking about there this year? I am going to this year be talking about what we call eight monochannel experiences. So in a world where everybody's talking about omnichannel, and have been for 10, 15 years uh, and are still talking about it because so many businesses and brands are struggling to, to reach the holy grail of this seamless connected offline to online omnichannel experience and continually want to know how to do it and are trying to implement it and are getting better at it. The interesting thing about Omnichannel, it was, it was, it was created by people who weren't digital natives and, and actually... So these people tried to say, okay, how do we connect our digital world to our physical world? And I've been a part, we've all been a part of this. But monochannel looks to the idea that actually, if you think about audiences now, they've only known growing up in a digital world. They don't know the idea of not having digital like uh, myself and you. (laughs) Um, No. And so monochannel looks at the idea of being both physical and digital at, at the same time. It's not I'm doing this online or I'm doing this on my mobile and then I'm going to a store or a hotel or a business class lounge and I'm doing this physical thing, guys. And then I'm not and I'm back and I'm checking out that and I'm going online. It's a very channel. It's a it's a channel idea. Monochannel is a non-channel idea. It talks about the whole channel. It talks about the channel agnostically. It, It reflects consumer behavior consumers don't think they're in channels they don't they don't separate, care yeah. about channels mm. they're just agnostic to everything and so experiences and and, and we, we've created a um a couple of these but a recent store that we've created and that i'm going to talk about xiaomi in china in um i'm going to talk about this in berlin is addresses exactly that it thinks of retail as being in the physical space and in the digital space at the same time so that as users are using their mobile phone uh, and let's take an example of a 200 square meter store that we have can only fit so many physical products mm. without, you know, racking them up high and deep and, and losing the kind of premium quality of the brand. So if we can only fit so many products, how do we fit another 100,000 products in the space? Well, we fit them in digitally with a smart wall and a QR code activation that's enabled by a mobile app. And therefore, my experience in the store is that I'm seeing physical uh, objects. Mm. I can see a wider range, a wider selection of objects digitally. I can access them. I can save them. I can purchase them and so on. What that does as well is it frees up staff to actually be more the human touch points of the space. So they are the brand ambassadors. They talk to you in an authentic manner. And what that does is exponentially increase your SUK, S- mm. SKU. Sorry. So mm. normally you've got 200 square meter. You do your math. That's your projection. Yeah. This is about I've got 200 square meter, but I've got 100,000 products yeah. in that space. So that's the kicker number one. Kicker number two is that with the digital integration in store, 
it's learning every time somebody's using it. So it can very quickly see who's selecting which products and which are just not drawing attention, how far or deeper they going into that journey, where is the cutoff point. And the critical bit of that is the data bit that's feeding in the insights that then informs the future retail program and the business model behind it. So it's like Google. Google gets smarter every time we use it. Monochannel is about getting smarter every time a, a human uses that retail experience, let's say. So it's like we're, we're continually striving to bring things together, but actually this is... Uh, digital and online in the store. That's it. And and I I use that store as an example, but Mm. it will be for every kind of experience and and touch point. And we all know we only need to look around and see Mm. we are all constantly connected and in physical space and in the human space. So let's not think omnichannel is is a channel word Mm. in itself. So let's think more mono. How... um... So what are you, sorry, what are you getting excited about for 2020? What are you, obviously, mono channel, (laughs) mono experiences, uh, oneness, wholeness, holistic. Um, Yeah, what are you getting excited about? What else? Um, We're always excited about the human factor. uh, And and we have to be really careful, I think, when we're talking about uh, digital so much is the the what's exciting of people and in a world where digital is actually overwhelming many of us and and to the to the mental detriment of many of us mm. we are ultimately social animals and human beings who have an, an, an innate need and desire for human interaction we need it it's 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 like we need vitamin d in winter so we go and get our supplements mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we need human interaction and so i'm excited about actually putting humans back at the heart of everything in 2020 to ensure with all the brands that we work with don't leave the human transformation behind don't just do that digital transformation the human transformation bit is actually the bit that's going to differentiate for brands do you mean internally with a company help your employees to get actually change? both yeah, yeah but yeah. both as well I, I was talking more in terms uh, terms of our world of creating experiences for people but it just in all aspects of life that that we, we can see it happening everywhere so um and i even from my own personal self have, have, want to ensure that i have more human interaction with yeah. people and i'm not just glued to my my digital devices so i'm kind of excited about that but i'm also excited about exploring some different parts of the world and we are um we are looking into to slightly different regions and so I'm, i've been fortunate enough that i've worked in india in the past uh, i think we're about to start a new engagement there and I think these are always very interesting projects because you go and see about the rapid development that a, a whole, um, uh, you know, spaces, you know, digital, digital development in India is moving so rapidly. And these are places of opportunity because they don't have so much legacy or infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So you can create new, new things. You can be much more innovative, to borrow that word, in in some of these emerging markets. So that's an interesting place, and and different parts of the Middle East are opening up as well. What um what innovations have you seen if you coming from India? 
what have you seen there that's excited you? So not so much us going there and doing stuff, but like things coming out that's inspired you. I, I can't say I have. <laughs> I can't say I have at the moment. I okay. don't have an answer for okay. that because uh, I haven't been over there for like a couple of years since okay. we did since we did the last piece of work. But so it's more just that kind of attitudinal mm. quality and thing. As I can't the think of something specific. Can, the fact because there's less legacy, you can be more agile, and that's exciting yeah. in itself. And, and the 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 client that we are hopefully about to start <laughs> working with is wonderfully ambitious, yeah. and that's inspiring. Like that's the thing to get excited about. And they are thinking about their business not as a retailer, but they're thinking about their business as a as a tech business, as an entertainment business, as a content business. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. And the brands that are doing that and, and that that kind of attitude was really refreshing for us in the in the studio because it's like, wow, okay. And and they've got ambitions to grow from a certain from millions to billions in 10 years and and that's that's fascinating and they're inspired by the digital capability within their within their country to be able to do that so yeah yeah mm. cool that's inspiring for us yes. that kind of ambition yeah yeah <laughs> anything else you want to mention today um no no i'm, good. I'm all good Happy. yeah how are you <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. it's all one way are you well yes i'm good Thanks. excellent yeah i'm good yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but no, it's 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 exciting. It's an exciting time. I think the the, yeah. the final thing to say is it is an exciting time. It's a challenging time. Mm. It's a disruptive time, and disruptive has a really kind of negative sound to it. Yeah. The word, actually, this disruption it's is exciting. really interesting, yeah. and 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 it's not the space in fights with digital fights with human. It's we've got the opportunity now to redefine the future, and and reinvent things. This is the time of reinvention what a great time for us all to be alive when we're in this kind of creative industry so yes yeah exciting yeah yeah cool thank you cool thank you very much too some brands particularly small businesses may not feel the need to create a strategy to ensure multiple digital channels customer records and interactions are unified however regardless of business size or ambition to grow We all have to make sure we understand who our customers are and what they each want from us. A relationship is a two-way thing, and if there's an imbalance of that relationship, the customer will move on to another brand who treats them well. It's time to make sure that doesn't happen, because from a brand's perspective, it costs a lot more to acquire a new customer than it does to keep an existing one happy. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review our show on iTunes and till next time, be sure to join the conversation via Instagram at Black Neon Digital and online at blackneondigital.com.